0: message so as uh, as usual we are continuing this message on promotion I think we've been busy now for about four or five months so all the messages are on the Dropbox and uh, giving this this idea of what the Lord thinks about with promotion now let's go to 1st Timothy chapter 6 verses 9 to 11 1st Timothy chapter 6 verses 9 oh, maybe we can just read it from verse from verses 1 ok Okay, let as many servants as are under the yoke Count their own masters worthy of all honor That the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed Okay, so the way you submit to your masters or Principles, bosses and so on Um Will determine whether the name of God, whether someone will speak bad about God, or whether someone will respect the God that you serve. All right? And we've gone into that one. Uh, point number, verse 2 And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them. Okay, so that's dishonor, because the word honor means to value, think highly of. So, in other words, one of the reasons he's bringing this in, it's easy It's easy for someone who's a Christian, and then he has a boss who is a Christian, to treat him as a brother, and not respect him in his position that he has at the workplace. So then it's easy to say, "Ah, we're brothers. So you get offended when your brother in the Lord who is... Um, manager over you sort of gives you instructions and Bruce. Um, must me. Must, must you know, answers broers. You must not become here for a beginning relax relaxed. You must must be Christian like, you know. Don't say, you know, don't tell me you why aren't you here at five o'clock? You're supposed to be here at five. Why aren't you here? Then you get offended. My kick who's here, broer, no, right it's not that case so you need to if you have someone who is your boss and he's a christian and you you know he's a christian or you happen to be in the same uh, church or so on um, you are not to despise him you're not to look down because they are brethren so he says the reason you despise is because you are brothers okay so it doesn't necessarily mean that you that you just have no you think nothing of him, it just simply means you want to put him on your same level at the workplace. And you can't do that. Okay? But rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud. He knows nothing, but is doting about questions and strife of words. Whereof comes envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. Verse 5, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw yourself. Okay, so um, gain is not godliness. If you are prospering physically, that is not a sign that you are godly. It, it can, can come because of godliness, but it's not necessarily the major sign that you are godly. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay. So to be godly and then to be content with what you have and where you are is of great gain to you. And I'm not going to go into the covetous message. We did that at the start of promotion. Um, verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Right? So be content with what you have, and, um, and then love godly. But verses 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. I want to explain that scripture. We've explained that already. Verses 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred or strayed or gone off from the faith, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Okay? So, in other words, w- when there's a love for money, there's, a, there's covetousness. Covetousness says there's a love for money. Right? And um, if, and, and we did that right in the beginning, it is so important to understand that because, um, because the Bible says yeah, you can actually depart from the faith uh, through covetousness. So it's important to make sure that we are people who are content with what we have, and in our contentment we can prosper. It's not the prospering that's the problem, it's the covetousness, it's the love, right? Um, Then, verses 11, But you, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, Meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto you are also called and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. So, when the Bible says fight the good fight of faith, it is in the context of money, covetousness, the love of money, all those things. He says, in that sense, and in this context, you must. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, the reason why we read verses 11, he says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and follow, pursue, go after right righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. So, in other words, what he's what is, what is saying there is, Your goal must not be to be rich, your goal. You must have a different goal, right? And as, we, as we're looking at these principles here, we'll find that these principles are actually the principles that bring us into promotion. Um, if we seek the things that the Lord tells us to seek, those things will actually bring us into the, the place that we desire to be. Because we will see all those principles in Joseph, we see those principles. Uh, in Daniel we will still look at Daniel but well, last week i spoke to you about the way we should handle suffering the way we should handle difficulties within the workplace or wherever you find yourself it can be a school can be in a church setting it can be the principle is the same right Um, Go with me to 1 Peter 2, verses 18-19. to So this is the scripture that I went off into last week. And we spoke about how you should handle your suffering. What does God expect? What does the Word say? Does God expect from you when you are in a workplace? Okay. So it says, your servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Verse 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Right? And uh, uh, give me the next one. I think the next one says something. For what glory is it if you be buffeted for your faults? You shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. Right? So now the Bible says you should submit. You should um, honor, respect, even when you have not only to the good, But also to the forward. Another translation says also to the bad ones. Okay, the the ones with who don't have such a a nice personality or character. Let's not say personality, rather say character, right? And they tend to get angry, shout, scream at you, tell you how stupid you are, um, tell you useless you are. make you feel stupid when you do your work or you know we we have those things you get it even in school you get teachers that can also speak to the kids in such ways right so and we said that god expects you to submit now you now you got to understand the difference between submission and obedience that's important because there is a difference between submission and obedience. And I think, you, uh, give me Hebrews 13 verses 17, just so we can see that. Okay, Hebrews 13 verses 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Okay. For they watch over your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for it is unprofitable for you. So there is a difference between, because you can misunderstand the word, if I say God expects you always to submit. Then you can think, so what if the guy tells me to steal? The word says I must always submit. But you see, you have to understand the difference between obedience and submission. Submission is always dealing with the attitude of the heart. Obedience is dealing with the action. Right? So, if someone asks you to do something that violates uh, the word of God or you as a person, right, then you obviously have the right not to obey that. But God expects you to always submit. And that is rather the attitude that you have. Right? the 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 respect and that is very 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 difficult Um, that is very difficult to keep the 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 respect to stay submissive you can obey something and then not be submissive because if submission deals with the attitude then it means you can do something with an attitude so you are obeying but you don't have a submissive heart so whatever what he's saying is while you do that you should have a submission submissive heart so in other words it's guarding your heart it's protecting your heart, so making sure that your heart is right when you when you're doing something uh, the simple example is, is when you ask your children sometimes to do something They don't want to do it, but they do it because they know So they do it and, but they do it with an attitude There you go, right? That's obedience There's obedience, but there's not submission The attitude within the heart is not right And uh, God expects that the attitude of our hearts should remain correct. Okay, you're all with me? So, let's go to, back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 19. And I was telling you that everyone is looking for calling. But there, there is a primary calling that we have before there's a secondary one. And most people are looking for the secondary and are missing the primary calling. Right, The first calling that you have is what the Bible tells you your calling is, and after that you can discover if you are to serve God, maybe with the youth, maybe with a broken woman, or maybe with orphans, or maybe it's in business, or maybe it's a school teacher, or whichever. Those are secondary things where you find exactly what it is. But your primary calling, you have a calling and we all miss the primary one. And so we go into the different areas and we seek to fulfill our secondary calling. And when we fail, with our primary calling. right? And um, your primary calling is to be like Christ. God has called you to be like Christ. And the Bible has said... That you should, um, I think, here in the book of Peter, 2 verses 19, let me see here. We all have a calling, and we need to understand that calling. Give me First Peter chapter 3 verses 9, okay? First Peter chapter 3 verses 9. And there are places in the Bible where it says, you were called for this, you were called for this, you were called for this. And we need to understand, we need to get to the place where we can understand this is our calling. Because otherwise you'd seek to fulfill your secondary calling, any means. Right. Verses 9, not rendering evil for evil, or Jesus would say eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that you are there unto, called. That you should inherit a, blessing. So, the Bible says, you are called, God called you, to bless when you are cursed, to love your enemies, right? God called you to do that. That's what the word says. You are, when this, There is not evil for evil. There is not eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Those type of things. You were called to do it the way Christ did it. And why does God ask you to do that? Because He wants you to be His son. Right? He wants you to be His son. So, give me Matthew chapter 5. Just a quick recap so that as we go into this, to to what we're going to say now, we can clearly understand Matthew chapter 5 from verses verses 43 verse 43 from verse 43 ok so it says here you have heard that it has been said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy right and and that's if we sit and think about it properly and nicely we actually sit and realize, but that's how we are. Okay? We love those who love us, and those who don't really like us, we also don't like them. You know? Um, That's how we really are. But Jesus said, that is not how he said you should be. Because, if we understand our calling, Our calling is to be God's son. God called you to be his son. Why? So that you could reveal the father. Man's calling, primary calling is to be God's son. And if you understand what it means to be a son, it means to reveal who the father is. Okay, verses 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Verse 45, that you may be the children, or actually the the correct translation according to the Greek should not, not have been children, it should have been sons. Because the Greek word there is huios, which refers to mature sons. There's other Greek words like technon and napios, okay, which sounds like nappy, right? Um, Those are for the the little kids. And oh, you put it up there, okay? So it's the actual translation should have been sons. So he says the reason you are to love your enemies, bless them that curse you do good to them that despitefully use you, and pray for them that persecute you, and so on, he says, is so that you can be a son. So that is, we can can say we are sons, and we can be called, and we know we have given our lives to Christ, and we know if we receive the Holy Spirit, we are God's sons. But Jesus is telling you how you practically stand as a son, And not just be able to by faith say I am a son. But how to practically be the son of God. Or the sons of God. And he says that you may be the sons of your father which is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you. What reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. If you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans the same. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Perfect does not mean faultless. Perfect simply means you, you are able to reveal your Father. That's what perfect means. You are able to love your enemies, you are able to bless when you are being cursed. And remember, I said to you, the uh, the word curse. Who, who has ever heard someone say to you, "I curse you"? Has anyone ever heard someone say, "I curse you"? Okay. But how many of you have heard someone say, "I bless you"? God bless you, right? Because we feel that. The way to bless is to say, bless you. But actually, when you curse someone, it is to prophetically announce the, the, the outcome of your life. That's a curse. That is what it means when someone curses you. Right? And sometimes in marriage it goes like that. <laughs> right? So, now, but when it says, bless, it means... It's prophetically announced. You're going to make it in life. You know, when you speak to your children and say, oh, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna make it. You're going to pass. You're going to be something good or, or whatever you want to say or whatever you know that God has said over your children and you speak that over them, you are blessing them. You might have never said, I bless you. But when you say, what is the intent of God for your children... Or when you just speak good over them, you are blessing them. Okay? So um, so Jesus said, if you are able to bless when someone is when someone else is saying, Jay, I say, you know what? I bless you, you're gonna you're gonna make it in life. You know, that's what it means. If you are able to do that. Right, then Jesus says, You are perfect. You are being perfect, you are being mature, you are being my son. Why? So Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. So if you see the Son, you must see the Father. So the reason, so Jesus says, if you are sons, he's now telling you, my father is just like that. Right. He blesses those who speak evil of Him. He just said, He makes His sun rise on the good and the bad. Right? And the Bible says that God loves. So in other words, God loves His enemies. He did. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever should believe in Him should not perish but have Everlasting life. So in other words, your father is like that and you're supposed to be the same. The father gave his son. Right? So that you, so that he could love his enemies. So the purpose of, now if you don't do that, if you don't take up your primary call, when you go into your workplace and you have bad masters, Bad managers, right? You have um, nasty teachers and you don't understand your first calling, then what happens is if you respond evil for evil, if you tell the person exactly the same thing he told you, he's Right? When you do that, then the Bible says, let's say you're the one who claims to be the Christian. Then the Word says, now they're going to talk bad about your God. Now they're going to speak evil about the God that you serve. And they won't think anything of your Word. Because, you're, because you are not being who you are saying you be Because when they think of Jesus, it's not what they see in us. So it's important for you to understand your first calling. And that is the calling that God has for the church. right? So I believe that what God wants for the church is He wants them to understand the first and primary calling. So before you even come to understand your secondary calling. okay? So, but now if you are going to do that we're going to have to we're going have to have to a little twitch a little switch or shift in your mindset in the way you walk okay so let's just go back to first peter chapter 2 verses 18 and 19 Okay, it says here, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the froward or the bad. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. If you are going to be able, or to even um, do that, and live your first calling, being God's son, Then you're going to have to walk with the conscience that is towards God Last week I said to you You can't be pastor conscious You can't When the pastor's not around Then then you change Okay, when the pastor's there Then you're the holiest saint Okay You are right and alles is recht, alles is in plek Right you can't have that, you can't have past the consciousness. You must have God consciousness. You can't walk with, as die pastore so gesê, ok, maar ons maak wat ons wil. If you walk God conscious, and you are at work, and when, or if you are at home, or you, The way you maybe speak to your children or treat your children, then it will hit you because you walk God conscious. You will know that wasn't right. You will then immediately go back. You will say, Forgive me. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Whoever, to your children, in the marriage, at your workplace wherever you find yourself. Why? Because you are ruled by God consciousness. You are not ruled by pastor consciousness. So what is governing your life? God. That's the very reason why God made you his temple. So that the Holy Spirit could dwell in you and the Holy Spirit could govern your life. So that you could be ruled by the Holy Spirit. So you can be led by the Spirit. So when you do wrong, you immediately know I've done wrong. Right? But if you're pastor conscious, it's only when the pastor mentions something in the line of what you did. and say oh, you had a me." But now, it was like four weeks back that you're asking now only God forgive me. Because the word has only come out now. You can't wait four weeks. I walk God conscious. Okay? If God makes me known that I did something wrong, I go back and I apologize. I say wrong. It's difficult. You know? Sometimes in marriage, you think in marriage, sometimes it's the hardest, maybe, time to say you're sorry. Because, because everyone feels everyone is right. (laughs) Right? Okay? Everyone always feels my cause rech, I have a valid. That's what I'm saying. You understand? It's, it's my perspective is right. No, and and it feels you can just go on a cycle. So if you walk God conscious, then you then you probably be the first one to come and say, I'm sorry. Okay? Even if you feel you are right. Okay. Why? Because I'm ruled by God consciousness, because if you understand. The word of God expects from you personally what you should do. That's why the word in the marriage, the word says husbands. Didn't say wife, say for your man. No, didn't say husband, tell your wife. It said husbands, you, wife, you. So God then expects you to walk according to what is right in his sight. See, God conscious. This scripture says, For this thankworthy of a man for conscience towards God, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Why? Because the scripture said, You are called unto this. That's your calling. And if you understand that, that this is my calling, then you realize, then you realize I am required. There's a responsibility upon me to behave in a certain way. okay there's a responsibility to behave in a certain way and I need to now we are human we make mistakes right that's fine as long as we are God conscious and we can go back correct our mistakes or what we've done what we've said how we've harmed someone correct it and then move on from there if if you are going to submit even to bad masters then you must have God consciousness you can't have pastor consciousness right you need to be conscious of God you need to know I'm doing this because God expects this of me right give me uh, 2nd Kings 18 verses 1 to 2 there's a certain way that you must walk so you've got to again like I'm saying you've got to move away from pastor conscience or even brother conscience okay as long as you're around with the saints, you behave also, right? But if the saints are missing, okay, then the sainthood is also missing, right? It can't be like that, because wherever you are, God is. Okay. Now it came to pass in the third year of Oshia, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty-and-five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty-and-nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. Next one. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, did. So Hezekiah walked, and he did that which was right in the sight of the pastor. No. He did that was, that which was right in the sight of my brother. No. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. That means, in, in other words, it means he was not, he was not influenced by the situation. He was influenced, his behavior was influenced by how he walked according to the Lord. His walk was in the sight of God, not in the sight of man. And so because he had that, he was willing to go against the stream, because if you actually read on, there was false, there was foreign altars, there was graven images, there was groves, there was everything that God said the Israel shouldn't do was in the nation at that time, and Hezekiah actually came and brought a reformation into that place. So, and but for him to even do that. He had to move away from walking in the sight of people. He had to walk in the sight of God. So that's God consciousness. That means if you know what is right, if you know what God says and requires of you, and you walk in His sight, when you come into those situations, you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Regardless of the situation and the circumstances. Okay, so if the word tells you to forgive, you do it because you know this is right. In the sight of the Lord. If, if there's no money in your pocket, and you see a ten rand not belonging to you, and you walk in the sight of the Lord, that ten rand will not leave its place. It's not yours. Why? Because you walk in the sight of the Lord. If you're at school, and the teacher leaves the class. You will. And you know what is right. You know the teacher said. Sit still in your chair and wait for me. What will you do? You will do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Why? Because you know the Lord expects you to obey. So but if you are if you not. But to walk in the sight of the Lord. You need to have God consciousness. And if you don't have God consciousness, then, when the teacher leaves, wow, it's party. Okay? Get up from the chair. Okay? The pastor's not there. Is there any brother here? Okay? The tenant is there? Okay. Ek het kos nodig. Kos Right? But when you walk in the sight of the Lord, you leave there and say, Father, Let you, I'll trust you to put it, put it in my hands. Okay, I'll trust you to put it in my hands. You're walking in the sight of God. You've got to be governed by God, not by your pastor, not by your brother or your saint. Your brother and your sister shouldn't be the one who to tell you what is right. You should know what is right. And you should be governed by that. Your, the purpose of your conscience was to convict you when you're doing something wrong. That is the purpose of your conscience. Give me John chapter 8 verses 9. That is the purpose of your conscience. So we have to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. If you are going to even go to your workplace and submit to those who are bad or treat you not well, and you walk by walking in the sight of your brothers and sisters, then, then you will have the freedom. You will give yourself a false freedom. You understand what I'm saying? A false freedom. And they would heard it being convicted by their own, conscience went out one by one beginning at the eldest even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst this is the chapter of the woman caught in adultery and this is where they wanted to stone her and they asked Jesus what is your opinion about it what do you say Moses said this okay those were the Moses disciples Jesus said something that was the mistake you shouldn't have asked Jesus what he thinks about it and then he said to them By what he said, it convicted, the conscience convicted them. So in other words, the way your conscience convicts you is by what you have laid down into your conscience already. So then the conscience, so if you know the word has said, right, the word has said, submit even to the evil masters and that has been taught to you Right, and your conscience is sensitive to the Holy Spirit, then when that happens, your conscience will convict you. And so, Jesus said, If there's anyone here without any sin, let him be the first one to throw the stone. Okay, and obviously, there is where we learn of the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of righteousness, which is in Second Corinthians chapter 3. Our ministry is not the ministry of condemnation. No ministry of speaking evil about someone. Our ministry is the ministry of righteousness, forgiveness. That's It's the ministry that's actually behind the veil where Jesus sits as a king priest, right? He sits as a priest on behalf of you. Every priest is taken from among men. is ordained for men, right? A priest is for men. And uh, we want to go behind the veil, but behind the veil, the ministry is priesthood high priesthood, means you are for men, you are not against men, you speak well, and so on, but that's something else, and then he comes, and then the Bible says, and when they heard it, they being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the elders, even unto the last, Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst alone. And obviously after he said, woman, where is your accusers? And she said, Lord, there's no one here. He said, neither do I condemn you, right? So, so in other words, the ministry of condemnation is also the ministry of accusation, accusing, and so on. So, and, and if you look at it, she did do it, right? But even if she did do it, he didn't accuse. He didn't condemn. Right? So, I, I begin to understand that Jesus is stricter before you fail. But when you fail, He's merciful. That's Him. But He's strict before because He doesn't want you to do it. So, but when you make the mistake, that's when, that's when we all want to throw the on, that's when He says, no, I forgive you. Because you ask for forgiveness. All right? So, But your conscience, the purpose of your conscience is to convict you when you're doing something wrong. Right? That's the purpose of your conscience. That's why God gave your conscience. There is actually a scripture where Paul says, um, I don't know if I have it here, but maybe we can read some scriptures on the conscience. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 5, or sorry, chapter 1 verses 5. If you're gonna be able, if you're gonna be able to to submit even to even when you're being treated wrong in your workplace, or wherever you find yourself, the principle is the same. It is expected of you to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was crucified by authorities. He wasn't just crucified by no by Jews. Okay, he was crucified, the Romans took him. It was their job to nail him to the cross. It was their job to whip him, pull off his flesh, all those type of things. He was crucified by authorities. Okay, Um, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and faith unfeigned. The end of the commandment is to walk with love. Charity is love out of a pure heart. And having a good conscience, you got to have a good conscience. Um, Acts twenty-three verses one. So you got to walk in the sight of the Lord. In the sight of the Lord. I mean, it should be that. Oh, well, I remember one time. I think I shared, probably shared again. We were in Ventu. My wife and I. We we just got in the car. And she het al for my mother's now, yelling julle in die begin en sy is as ons in die car rijd, hey, sublief cell phone nie die cell ons and I was now I think I was busy with my cell phone and I was busy reversing also, and it was in windtoek cell phone, reversing, and alles, and, and she was upset and she took the phone and said I told you no cell phone in the car and ek het nou nie gelijk van die het natuurlijk sê, luister hier I said, you don't talk to me like that again. You know, I can't remember. I almost said, You understand? And I was also upset. I was also upset because I didn't mind the, the cell phone thing. I just didn't like the way she did it. But she was also upset because I was not doing it and so on. And obviously, and we were, that was the Friday. We had just arrived in Vintuk. Now you can imagine. <laughs> right? The whole weekend is ahead. Is this one incident going to put my whole weekend out? Right? But when you are God conscious, I knew what I had to do. I knew I had to say, Forgive me. <laughs> it wasn't right. I knew why. Because I am God conscious. Okay, I don't have to wait till my spiritual father is around, or to, or if some brother or sister is telling me, and I have to explain to him the situation, and then he says, "What you should do, no, but if you are God conscious, then you go, and then." I think, I think we, we just came home the whole way while we were driving home. We haven't even yet been to my mom's house. We went straight from coming from Wolves Bay to town, get our things. Then from there in the car, we were going to the house now. Yeah. And I think when we got... Now, obviously, now... Welcome embrace Hello, Mama. we had it. Right? <laughs> and... Honestly, I thought it was fine. I hey. Yeah, you get it, and I was like cool and calm. Okay? But but I nee nee, ek gaan nie lekker wees nie. And I was not willing to waste my whole weekend on one incident and I think I I don't know, I was there at home then I went and I said listen, I'm sorry. You know, it wasn't right the way I spoke to you. And toe obviously my bro nou haar beard gekry, maar jy weet ek het dit vir jou gesê. <laughs> okay Finished. the rest of the weekend, happy, enjoying it, right? But you gotta walk according to what is right in the sight of the Lord. You gotta be God conscious. or you gotta break away from being past the conscious, brother conscious, Or people conscious. conscience. Right? Okay. Did we read this one? And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. That means Paul every day lived that he may have a good conscience towards God. If you don't have a conscience that's towards God, then you will go at your workplace and you won't care. Because you're not, you're, you're not God conscious. Right? You won't care how you behave. You'll be in the marriage, you won't care. Right? Or you won't even care to make it right. There will be no conviction. Okay, Acts 24 verses 16. Acts 24, verses 16. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense. Meaning, tells me my fault. A conscience that is telling my fault towards God and towards men. So, you've got to have a conscience that is void of offense towards God. So, to, to have that, it means you're, you must be God conscious. Okay? Give me a First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. So, you you got to walk before the Lord. That's the only way. I personally think that you will actually do what is right when it's required of you. When you find yourself in that situation, it is only God conscience or being governed by God or the Spirit of God that you will do what is right. Okay. It says here, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons okay next one won't we'll go into the doctrines of demons speaking lies in hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron right so so the when it says your conscience is seared with a hot iron it means you've lost your sensitivity To God in your conscience. That's what it means. When it's been seared. You've lost your sensitivity. In your conscience towards God. And so. So for example. If you get it in the context first. Before we can make it applicable to us. the He's talking about those. Who teach doctrines of demons. Which is actually the influence behind it. Is seducing spirits. And so they're teaching these things. And they're speaking lies. And their conscience doesn't even bother them. Do you understand? That's what the scripture is saying. Where you speak stuff that is not even true. And then your conscience won't even bother you. You've lost the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And he says, so in other words, if you've lost sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in your conscience, it then means it's easy to lie. It's easy to speak lies and then just walk away like nothing happened. And then not even let your conscience bother you. You won't even let... You will, you will still sleep like a baby tonight. Right? Because the, if, you, if your conscience is seared, you'll speak lies. And it says in hypocrisy, hypocrisy is now actually um, you're playing your best role ever drama. Okay? It's acting. Right? It's, it's putting on a false presentation. Right? And your conscience won't bother you about that. Okay? Furi bruges, yeshua? Furi. You are different when you are alone, and then when you are with others, you are different also. You are you are busy with hypocrisy. It's acting. In, in fact, they the the way they explain hypocrisy is in the olden days, you know, with Shakespeare and those on they had like these stages, theaters. And so behind the stage, you were your. You know you were yourself but when you came out of the curtain you put on the mask and you played your role Then you did your best acting scene that you did and when your acting scene was over and you were not out in the open you went behind the curtain no one could see you then you took off your mask and now you were yourself again right so when you have a conscience that is seared And you're not walking God-conscious. It's easy to walk like that. When you're in front of everyone, you have your best role. And when you're behind, when no one sees you, then you are different to what we actually know who you are to be. Okay? So in other words, you have to walk God-conscious if you are going to even at your workplace. Right? At your workplace, if you are going to be able to do what God is calling you to do. Okay? Okay? What is God calling you to do? Maybe you felt that God has sent me into that company to to bless it, to be a difference and so on. But, or, you know, work with the young people or you're a teacher changing lives, but now you have a difficult situation. Someone's over you who's, who's mistreating you, who's not treating you well, being bad treated, evil treated then your conscience must tell you when you're in the situation when they're speaking bad to you when they're calling you names what must you do you and when you are God conscious then you will say the word of God says I know the word says I know the word says this okay then you what we do you will do what the word says you won't, need, you won't need a service or a meeting to go to where what you already know, a pastor must now bring that message. And then you realize, God, please forgive me. Then you go make a, You know already you must go make right. Why must we have? Why must you have a communion service and say, Hey, I just feel the Holy Spirit is saying now, you know, you need to go and make right. You need to go and forgive. I feel this is what God is saying. And obviously God is saying that because you, you haven't been walking in the sight of the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit is now saying, go and make right. And so now we take communion, we walk to one another and we say, oh, forgive me, the way I, I spoke to you and the things I said to you, sorry I didn't mean to do it. But you knew already the scripture said forgive and you knew the whole time you must forgive you must walk in the sight of the lord if you don't walk in the sight of the lord you will steal at your workplace (laughs) you will come late and not even let it bother you you will lie to your brother and your sister and you won't even let it bother you. You go sleep tonight like nothing is wrong, like you did nothing wrong. Because there's no God consciousness. There's nothing. Your conscience is not convicting you. It's not sensitive. If you continue in that way, you will have, you will lose the sensitivity in your, in your conscience towards the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, let's go to Hebrews chapter ten verses twenty-two. Hebrews chapter ten verses twenty-two. So the, the conscience, if if you are going to do what the word says, the word says you must, you must. If you are if you are under a bad boss or whatever, you must submit. And you must do it and you must endure it of conscience towards God. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10 verses 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So our hearts must be sprinkled from an evil conscience. The word evil also means guilty, guilty conscience. Okay, so if you do something wrong and there's no guilt in your conscience for what you did, okay, in a good way, then you need to, the, need the warning lights need to go on. Die rooie lichte moet aangaan. Ik doen dinge wat verkeerd en het pla my nie jy There's something wrong there. There's something wrong. Okay, dit pla you net as die pastoor daar plaat jy net as die broer en die rondom is. ok ok, that's why many times when we do something wrong it's like, you don't want to go to church anymore why, because only when you're around the brothers and the sisters, do you feel I hope they don't notice something or see something all of a sudden you're so conscious about each wat jy gedoen het hulle weet okay, yes, they don't know what you did they don't know anything, but you are so conscious of the brothers and the sisters that you don't know how to walk. You feel so, you just feel so uncomfortable amongst everyone. You know, you say, "What's happening?" You are conscious of people. You are brother and sister conscious. You are not God conscious. You should have felt uncomfortable the minute you did it on your own. You should, you should have already, yeah. I shouldn't have done that. Oh Lord. And it should have bothered you, and you should have had your peace only until you made it right. Yeah. Okay? Otherwise, you can say, Ya yeah, pastor and saladun, and then when you're on your own, you do your own thing. Right? You are pastor conscious, not God conscious. Okay, give me verses two, verses two of Hebrews chapter ten. Okay. Um, maybe she just give me verse one as well. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continue to make the comers thereunto perfect. Okay, so what that means is, is that the law of Moses was always a shadow, it was never the real thing. Okay? It was never the real thing. I know they really did it. Literally did it. But in God's eyes, there was never the real. So if, if, you are, if you are doing the Sabbath day, literally on Friday night, six o'clock, going into Saturday night, six o'clock, you are in a shadow. I know it's literally Friday. But you are only in a shadow. Come to Christ. Come to the reality. It was a shadow of good things. It was a prophecy of good things to come to you. Okay? So, get away from the shadow. Come into the reality. And I know as good as it is and how good it makes you feel, it does. It's not the real thing. Okay? You should feel like it every day because you're living in the real thing. Okay? Hebrews chapter 4 says, By faith we enter into rest. Sabbath day is the day of rest. So the way you enter, uh, you go and ask someone who does the little Sabbath day, say, do you need faith to go into your rest on Friday night? Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, say, let us fear lest the promise being left of us of entering into his rest, we should come short. Hey, are you afraid Friday night? Friday, 5 o'clock, are you afraid you won't make the Sabbath? No, you're not afraid. You're like, is getting ready. Everything is getting ready. There's no fear in you. You won't make it. Or you'll come short of that day. You're not afraid. So it's not, so the Sabbath now is not a literal day. It's a day in the spirit that you have to understand. Right? Jesus said, come unto me and I'll give you rest. Talking about a certain way that you must walk, that you have always rest. Okay, next one. Verses 2, For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more consciousness of sins. Okay? So now, you can see that your conscience is something that makes you aware of sin. Fault. Okay? Fault. Mistakes. Something I did wrong. It could know, you understand? Your conscience. It's got consciousness of sins. Now the problem is, the Bible says that the Old Testament, the sacrifices that they did could not cleanse the conscience from their faults, from their guilt. It couldn't. Okay? So now the only way to get your conscience clean, right? Is obviously through Christ. Believing in the Lord Jesus and and his blood. And, and that you can give me a Hebrews. 9 verses 14 Hebrews 9 verses 14 it says how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God so this says the blood of Christ will purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God What that means is, is that when we seek, when we seek peace in our conscience. We like to do works to get peace in our conscience. In other words, if you know that you have done something that is not right. Okay. um, And what you do then is, you will say, okay. You ask God to forgive you, but you can't seem to find peace. You still feel guilty for what you did. So what do you do then? You have, you go into works. That means you now pray more. You now read your word more. You now try to behave so right. You're going into works. They have no life in it. And all these things works to your doing is so that you can feel forgiven. So that when you because the minute you start praying, because your conscience is not free from the guilt and the awareness of your sin, so now every when you go and pray, you're like you don't want to pray because you you still remember what you did. And you're not sure if God has forgiven you. So now you're forcing yourself to work. So you have one week. I pray every day. I read my Bible every day. One week I behave. I'm a good girl. I'm a good boy. You know? Like sometimes when you children come to you. Say, pa, 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 cake, cake, Of a suit. Of a suit. You know what I'm saying? You're like, You're like, Lord, I was good for a week. Now when you pray, now you feel peace. Oh. No, he says, those works can't purge your conscience. He says, the only way you can get peace in your conscience, the other peace you have is false peace. The only way you can get peace is if you accept what Christ did for you on the cross. If you accept that He died for your sin and you, you accept that if you ask for forgiveness, He'll immediately forgive you and you take that by faith, you will have peace. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, not by works. By faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the way I get peace in my conscience is by accepting the work that Jesus did on the cross, right? So it doesn't come by, doesn't come by behaving good, right? But after you have had your conscience cleared, after you have had your conscience purged, after you have had, you've no longer have the guilt and the condemnation, but you've got the peace, now, because you've accepted. The way you keep that good conscience is going to behave. Right? That's how you keep a good con- Go and behave. Go and do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Okay? That's how you keep a good conscience. I mean, I can't see how you can keep a good conscience. How you can have be. Free from a guilty conscience if every week you're doing the wrong thing, every week you're doing something you know you're not supposed to do. You you just I can't see how you can have peace. The only way you can have peace, without that, is, is if you got some false doctrine in your in your mind. The magisak wat ek dunie kan ma wat ek wil, die jy red vrede of so That type of thing, right? Uh, There's some type of doctrine that is giving you a false sense of peace, okay? Your conscience is meant to serve as something that warns you, guides you, shows you, but it has to have sensitivity to God. And you can't be void. You can't remove that sensitivity and then, because if you're doing something that's wrong, then you pretend. Then you are... Then you're walking in darkness by pretending and you have no light. Okay, you're not living in light. Light is important. So to come back, to end off, it's important for us. If you are going to have any ability to do what is right in the sight of the Lord, if you are going to if you're gonna to go to your workplace and you have a boss, you have a manager, you have Superintendent, CEO, whoever, at school, principal, teacher, prefect, whoever, doesn't matter where it is, if you are going to do what the word expects of you, you're going to have to stop being brother conscience. You're going to have to stop being pastor conscience. You're going to have to be God-conscious. So that you know, so that you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. So that you are not influenced by the situation, circumstance, or the mistreatment of someone towards you. So there's no evil for evil. Okay? You do what is right in the sight of the Lord. You know what is expected of you in the Word, so you do it because that is right. Okay? That is right. And so, that is how you keep your conscience clean, pure. Uh, If you are trying to do it, and it doesn't work, and it's failing, that's fine. You say, God, you know, you say, God, forgive me, Lord, help me to come right, help me to do it. There's at least the... Movement in that direction, okay. But the reason for having and doing what is right, as we read in uh, First Peter, chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and 10, is the blessing does not come on you if you're doing evil for evil. The reason Jesus said, Bless when they curse, why? Because the blessing or when you do that it acts as a wall and it blocks the curse. Right? It blocks the curse. And so you need to know that is spiritual warfare, right? Because spiritual warfare, if you think of war, what is that? That's some stray and buckle. You know, uh stray and backlash as warfare. This no warfare. Now I better take out my armor. Right now I better live, do what is right. If I'm at my workplace, my boss, me. you in warfare, okay? Tuesday night when you prayed, warfare, was a in thy battle. You were in the boxing ring and there was no opponent for you. Okay? You in the boxing ring, you were throwing your jabs, you were throwing everything, your punches, uppercuts, and you, th- you felt like you won the game, but there was no enemy there, right? He wasn't there. But go home, go to work. Then, then the war is on. Then the the devil uses the brother, or the sister. Then the devil uses the boss. There's no say beard. Then you go home. Many you stay this in your Vienna Because you, you missed the place of warfare. You missed where the battle was. Right? You didn't know where you, didn't know where, where you were going to fight. You thought you wanted Tuesday night. You didn't want it. Yeah? Yeah. Hmm. This is Sophie. So, okay, Mike. me. <laughs> Yeah, so, thank you Auntie Sophie. It's like a eerlijk daasel. Evil. (laughs) Yeah, but those are the things that go on in our minds. You understand? And if you walk in the sight of the Lord, He shall do what is right. Because you're governed by God and His Word. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, I just thank you that uh, I pray, Father, that you will restore to us God-consciousness, the awareness of you, and I pray that you will help us to walk before you and not just before others. Father, that we would be, that we would do that which is right there, wherever we are, at our work, at our school. In our homes, with our parents, in our marriages, in whichever place, Father, that we would do what is right in your sight. Amen. Amen.